the podcast's guide to the conspiracy, featuring Josh Edison and M. Dentoff. Welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Edison. Unfortunately, Dr. M. Dentith is unable to make it again this week, so I'm going to be recording another wee filler episode for you. Uh, and the same as last time, I'm going to have gone into our little file of, of, of weird, interesting story ideas that we've never quite turned into an episode, because sometimes they don't quite have a full episode in them. But this isn't going to be a full episode, so that's okay. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to say at the start other than to, to point out that, that, again, our next proper episode will be our 400th episode, but this is not that episode. This episode is going to be about the Zircon Affair. And before I start talking about the Zircon Affair, I suppose I should, should play a little chime so that everybody knows the episode started properly. It just feels better. It just feels better when you have the chime to start talking about the thing we're going to be talking about, which is once again the Zircon affair. Uh, that sounds a little bit, I guess, like a like some sort of a low budget science fiction film. And I mean, it, it kind of is. It's related, I suppose. It's, it's certainly science fictiony. Uh, although to be fair, it is anything but low budget, which is which is part of the problem. Because you see, Zircon, in this context, was the codename for a British spy satellite, or rather a proposed British spy satellite, in the 1980s. It was going to have been a signals intelligence satellite, so that's one that is designed to intercept transmissions from other countries. It was going to be listening in to, to try to intercept radio signals and other various signals from what was then the USSR, as well as the rest of Europe. It was going to be used by Britain's Government Communications Headquarters, the GCHQ. It's a government organisation who... Uh, it's, a, it's a spy organisation. GCHQ, they're spies who spy on people. That's what they do. And up until this point, they'd mostly been relying on the NSA for the use of their spy satellites when they wanted to do this sort of signals intelligence stuff. Uh, so they would just, you know, obviously Britain, America, close, close allies. So they would just get in touch with the NSA and book some time to use to, to task their satellites to whoever it was they wanted to listen in on at that time. Uh, in the 1980s, though, that they started to find this was becoming more and more difficult because the NSA obviously had their own stuff they were interested in. And at the time, they were more interested in what was going on in South America, which meant it was getting harder and harder for Britain to get time to point the satellite somewhere else. And so not, not unreasonably... They decided, well, instead of relying on the Americans for, for their technology, which they're uh, making harder for us to access, why don't we just build our own? And so that was the plan. They were going to build the satellite. Zircon, apparently the, the code name comes from the, the zirconium, whatever it is, like, like cubic zirconia, that sort of crystal that's kind of a fake diamond. I don't know why... It was named after that, though. I'm, I'm guessing some sort of, you know, self-deprecating British humour, where where their this this was their sort of imitation of the American satellites that they'd been using up until now. I don't know. What I do know is that it was going to be built at the special special secured building at Portsmouth Airport that was like all super super high security, so they could build their top secret spy satellite without people finding out what was going on and what was going in it and, and what have you. 
so the plan was to launch it into space on an American space shuttle. Uh, there was going to be a flight in 1988, and they were going to have their satellite on it. Obviously, they couldn't use Britain's space shuttle, the Churchill, because that had been severely damaged by fire during the naked space vampire zombie outbreak of 1985. That is a reference to the movie Life Force, which is an excellent, excellent film that you all need to see. If you haven't seen the film Life Force from 1985, you really need to stop this podcast, go away and watch that film, then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. It won't actually make the podcast make more sense, but you just just need to see that film. It's got Patrick Stewart in it. He, he kisses a guy. It's excellent. It's, it's just, it's... If you only watch one movie about naked space vampires taking over London with a zombie invasion. It really, really should be life force. Uh, but enough movie talk. So the official story for what Zircon, uh, Zircon was going to be for is that it would have been part of Skynet. I'll just read that again. Uh, no, no, it's Skynet. It was going to be part of Skynet, which turns... Okay, there's a, there is a bunch of military communication satellites called Skynet, uh, and it's been around since the 1960s, so it actually predates the Terminator, which is kind of less fun. I don't know. You'd think if they'd named their military communications after Terminator, we could at least have some sort of what-were-they-thinking kind of thing. Anyway, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Back to Zircon. It was a secret project. Exactly what Zircon did and what it was for was secret. But the fact that Britain was putting equipment into space on an American shuttle launch was public knowledge, uh, and 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 this this actually gave them sort of quite a quite a PR opportunity because because there was going to be British payload on the space shuttle, uh, that meant that a British payload specialist could be included in the flight, which would have been the very first time a British person got to go into space. And so there was a, there was sort of a, a, a bunch of British pilots were put forward publicly, like sh- shown to the press as these are the candidates for Britain's first man in space. Um, unfortunately for them and other people, the plug was pulled on the project in 1987 as it was decided it was, it was just going to cost too damn much. And so Zircon itself never happened. Uh, Interestingly, Britain's first man in space uh, ended up being a woman. Helen Sharman was the first Britain space and the first woman on the Mir space station, but that was not until 1991. So that's that's the short story of Zircon, but the Zircon affair is all about what happened during and afterwards, and it involves reporting and quite a bit of politics, which gets is, is a little more dry than talk of cool spy satellites. So to keep things interesting, here's, here's a little game for you to play while I talk about it. As you might imagine, this story is going to involve a bunch of British men with very British names. I'm going to give you some names now, and I want you to take your guess as to which are the names of actual human beings that feature in the story, and which are names that I just made up now. The names are Peter Mary Church, Bernard Wetherill, Marmaduke Hussey, Curtis Keeble, and Rear Admiral Higgins. Those names again, Peter Mary Church, Bernard Wetherill, Marmaduke Hussey, Curtis Keeble, and Rear Admiral Higgins. Which of those, if any, 
are actual names that actual human beings have possessed at some stage. Just, just think about that as I go through the rest of the story. Now, the story itself concerns journalist Duncan Campbell. In the mid-1980s, he was working on a six-part documentary series called Secret Society for the BBC, and it was going to be uh, a series about secret stuff that the government got up to. Uh, Campbell himself had, had, by this stage, already had something of a reputation for uncovering secrets that that proved to be embarrassing to the British government, and this, this series looked like it was going to be more of the same. Now, while he was uh, researching for this series and interviewing a bunch of people, he interviewed a man called Ronald Mason, who had been the chief scientific advisor to the Ministry of Defence, although I don't believe he was at the time. And it was during this interview that he first found out about Zircon. And, and it was at the time it was told it was extremely secret or something like that. But so that was exactly the sort of thing he'd been looking for. Uh, so he decided he was going to devote one entire episode of Secret Society to Zircon and started doing more research on it. While he was doing more research on it, one of the people he spoke to was Robert Sheldon, who was the head of the Public Accounts Committee. And upon bringing up Zircon, he was surprised to find that Robert Sheldon had not heard of Zircon. Now, this was surprising because the Public Accounts Committee was a parliamentary select committee that was responsible for overseeing government expenditure, and it was supposed to be told about things such as expensive military projects, the likes of Zircon. There was the, the, the stuff I've been reading about this, it sort of says there was, there was a quote-unquote agreement between Parliament and government departments that, that they, they would tell the Public Accounts Committee about such projects. Uh, it, it, it doesn't sound like it was, like it was an actual law, like they, they, were, they were strictly required to, but it was understood that they would. And the fact that the head of this committee had not heard of Zircon showed that they hadn't. They had, they had violated this agreement. Uh, it turned out that Zircon, now I said it was canned because it was going to cost too much. The cost was going to be about £500 million in the 1980s. Apparently that's that's more than $1.5 billion in today's money. So a project of that size, that's, that, that's something... Kind of a kind of a big thing to have neglected to mention to the people who you're supposed to be mentioning it to. Uh, Sheldon himself later said he felt a bit ambushed by Campbell's interview of him, but nevertheless, it did, it did seem very much that he did not know what Campbell was talking about when he brought up the Zircon project. And so this 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 basically became a bigger issue than Zircon itself. It's one thing for the government to be working on secret spy satellites. I mean, that's the sort of thing you might expect a spy agency to do, and it's the sort of thing you'd expect to be kept secret from the general public. But the fact that the project and its enormous cost had been kept from Parliament, that's an even bigger deal. And so that that basically was going to, you know, that, that, that was real fodder for this, this Zircon episode of Campbell's uh, Secret Society documentary series. So Secret Society was made. It was advertised as part of the BBC's programming in late 1986. The government was was a bit nervous about it right from the as soon as they sort of heard about it. Alastair Milne, who at the time was the director general of the BBC, had received what he called remonstration noises 
from the secretary of the D-Notice Committee. A D-Notice, something you might have heard of before, I believe now, apparently they're now, they're now called a DSMA notice, to be a little bit more precise, but what was known as a D-Notice at the time was an official request to news editors not to publish or broadcast items on particular subjects for reasons of national security. So a D-Notice would be issued if the Ministry of Defence or whoever found out that a newspaper or, or television producers or whatever had this information that they believed would be, 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 be a danger to national security if it got out, they would issue a D-notice and, and so, so officially say, you're not allowed to publish this. It's suggested that this uh, D-notice committee, who was who was making these remonstration noises to Mr. Milne, was worried was just sort of worried about this, the the series in general, not about Zircon specifically. Uh, the records we have of their time suggest that committee secretary Rear Admiral W. A. Higgins. Mm. Uh, hadn't actually heard of Zircon itself at the time he suggested they keep an eye on the show. He basically had he'd seen BBC's advertising, here's the stuff we're going to be putting out later in the year, saw that they were going to be putting out a series on secret stuff the government was up to, and said, oh, well, that's something we better keep an eye on. We don't want them to be revealing revealing dodgy things and didn't know that one of these dodgy things was going to be Zircon and wouldn't have been concerned about that immediately because he also didn't know what Zircon was. But people started talking about the show. In November of 1986, there was a meeting of the BBC governors to discuss the series, chaired by Marmaduke Hussey. That would be Marmaduke James Hussey, Baron Hussey of North Bradley. And some of these BBC, some of the governors of the BBC were, were quite opposed to the show and quite opposed to Duncan Campbell personally, I think, as I say. He had a reputation for being someone who was a, a thorn in the side of the government. Uh, so one of the BBC governors was a former MI6 operative. She was dead against Campbell and the show. Uh, one of the other people who was very much opposed to the show going forward was diplomat Curtis Keeble. That would be... Sir Herbert Ben Curtis Keeble, and so a bunch of the a bunch of the governors thought that the show probably shouldn't be aired. It might be it might be better for all concerned if this show was shelved. And so the governors and also the current director of the GCHQ, one Peter Mary Church, got on Alastair Milne's case about the show. Uh, and so he, he arranged a viewing of early cuts of all six episodes of the show and showed them to the governors. After watching all these episodes, the governors thought, OK, this, it, w it would actually be OK to broadcast the series, except for the Zircon episode. We Re really don't think the Zircon episode should be showed. That's, that's, that's going to be too much, cause too much trouble, too much of a danger to national security to be revealing what we're doing. Because remember, this is 86. The, the project wasn't officially canned until 87. So as far as people knew, this was still something that was going ahead and they didn't want people talking about it. Uh, apparently, basically, all of these people made life very difficult for Alistair Milne, kept going on and on about him, at him about it. To, I mean, I I assume as the as the head of the BBC, as someone who was you know involved in the production of the show, he would have been reluctant to um, to shelve any of these episodes. But eventually, apparently, around the end of '86, start of 1987, um, decided, yeah, okay, we won't we won't broadcast the Zircon episode. 
Now, Duncan Campbell wasn't going to take this lying down, and in January of 1987, the project became public knowledge. The the things I the, the few things I've read about it didn't say exactly how the product became public knowledge, but it's either, essentially Campbell went went public with it. They they mentioned various news stories came out at the same time. Uh, the one story that 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 shows uh, that sort of gets taken as as representative of the whole thing was a story in the Observer headlined BBC gag on 500 million defence secret. And there are a bunch of these other articles going around the newspapers. At this point, the Attorney General obtained an injunction against Duncan Campbell discussing or writing about the contents of the Zircon episode. However, Campbell had already written an article for the New Statesman about all of this. The government tried to stop that with an injunction. Um, this this article for the New Statesman had been sourced uh, from from some ver- various unnamed defence officials, and the Attorney General was very keen to know exactly who these people were and if any of them had breached the Official Secrets Act in acting as a source for Campbell's article. And before you knew it, Special Branch was raiding Duncan Campbell's house, raiding his researchers' houses, raiding the New Statesman's offices, looking for all sorts of documentation to to find out everything they could about this um, this reporting and investigation that had been done on Zircon. And so at the time, there, there was a, a lot of fuss and bother, a lot of brouhaha, a, a, a fine how-do-you-do, and all sorts of stuff started happening. Uh, the, the, the tapes of the Zircon episode ended up getting leaked. There were screenings to various civil liberties organisations who you know, made a fuss about this. this is, you know, what, what's the government doing trying to hide this stuff from us? Um, there's a bunch, of, a bunch of stuff about parliamentary privilege, a bunch of sort of technical political stuff went on in, the, in that the Zircon episode was screened in Parliament, and so having seen the screening, Parliament then they, they wanted to get an injunction, but then it was ruled, well, no, you can't get an injunction because anything that happens in Parliament is covered by parliamentary, parliamentary privilege, and you can't, and so you can't do that, and there, there was a bunch of political messing around, and then they had to have another screening somewhere else to get around these technical rules. There's a whole bunch of stuff like that, but, but basically... Basically, eventually things just simmered down, as these things do. It's a big deal at the moment, and then as it as it sort of goes on, people people slowly slowly lose interest. The the fuss kind of dies down, and people just kind of got on with their lives. So the first four episodes of Secret Society aired in 1987. Um, eventually, the Zircon episode itself was shown in 1988, and they sort of they 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 followed that then with a bit of a sort of a discussion show about about the episode and about the controversy around it and the, de- the decisions to not screen it and then screen it and what have you. I mean, it probably didn't hurt that uh, by that stage Zircon had been cancelled, so it was it was. It was almost a fuss over nothing. I mean, the fact still remained that this this initial problem of of hiding a very expensive military project or, or neglecting to mention a very expensive military project to Parliament that was that that was that was still a thing that had happened and probably shouldn't have. But you know, people weren't weren't so interested about that. As it turned out, um, in 1989, Duncan Campbell eventually reported on on what happened to the project. Instead, the um, the, the British government, rather than spending 500 million pounds making their own satellite, they just went and bought a US-made one, which they they controlled, launched it on a Titan rocket, not on a space shuttle. So that that wasn't nearly as much fun. 
And that's it for the Zircon Affair, except, except. Now, I said Zircon was episode five of Secret Society, and I said they broadcast the first four episodes of Secret Society, and then eventually episode five, titled Zircon. Episode six of Secret Society was going to have been called Cabinet, and was going to be all about secret cabinet committees. That one was also cancelled at the time, apparently because of the, the upcoming 1987 general election in the UK. And that one has never been shown. Now, in 1991, I mean, it's it, it sort of been shown. In 1991, Duncan Campbell uh, was doing a series now for Channel 4 about banned programmes, and they went to the BBC and, and asked if they could buy the Cabinet episode off them to include it in the series about programmes that have been cancelled for, you know, it's 1991, it's, it's a bunch of years on now, but no, no, the BBC was not going to sell it, they weren't, weren't going to let go of this episode that they never intended to broadcast. Uh, Duncan Campbell, though, still had his original scripts for, for the episode, and so Channel 4 ended up basically remaking the entire Cabinet episode from scratch and broadcasting it on that channel. So it was sort of shown, but nevertheless, the actual episode that was, it was as it was originally made was never actually shown. And uh, there was a bit of... Um, well, a bit of a bit of bit of conspiracy theorising about that particular fact as well. I mean, I wouldn't be talking about this whole thing if it wasn't conspiratorial, and it kind of was. We've got we've got you know government departments conspiring to hide things from from Parliament, from other things being hidden from the people, and and all that sort of stuff. But uh, there was there was another conspiracy theory around this in 1989. Alastair Darling, who I should have included that in the list of of interesting names, shouldn't I? But Alastair Darling. Uh, was an opposition MP at the time, um, and during a debate, he started talking about the, the, all, all this dodgy stuff that the government. Obviously, it was a, it was a conservative government at the time. He was a Labour MP, I assume. Uh, talking about all, all this all this nasty stuff the conservative government had been getting up to, such as you know, uh, such as suppressing this information and busy go, ra raiding Duncan Campbell and his researches and new statements and what have you. And he suggested that all this, this big fuss about the Zircon episode was really to distract us from the Cabinet episode because that was the one that the government really didn't want to be shown. And by making a big fuss about Zircon, they, they made sure that everyone would forget about the other episode, which, surprise, surprise, never actually got shown. Um, in, in, in the words of, of uh, Minister Darling... That programme was about the election campaign of 1983 and the fact that the government sought to undermine and spy on the citizens of this country. Their object was to prevent the programme from being shown and the Zircon affair was a blind. Uh, so there you have it. The Zircon affair, a, 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 a thoroughly conspiratorial set of happenings in Britain in the mid to late 1980s. And, and, and that's really, that's really all I have to say about it. Except, of course that those of you who are paying attention to our little game will have noticed that the only name in the list uh, that I haven't mentioned was Bernard Wetherill. Did I make him up? No, actually, I didn't make him up either. They were all real names. Bernard Wetherill was the Speaker of the House of Commons at the time. I just kind of rushed over the bit that he was involved because it was all that it was all that political parliamentary privilege bollocks that was all that was a bit sort of technical and, and not particularly interesting. So he was involved. He was involved, just wasn't worthy of mention in the story as I told it. So there you have it. 
that is my little little filler episode for you this week. A fun little story I'm sure you'll agree, and, and I'm sure you'll agree probably couldn't have been stretched into an entire episode, so it's probably for the best that we just talked about it. Now, would have would have, would have made for a good bonus episode, perhaps, if we if we had nothing else to talk about. Uh, I by the time we do actually do a proper episode, we'll have a bunch of news to catch up on. There's all this Trump business. I was seeing just, uh, just over the last couple of days, there's been another big leak of classified... Defense Department documents or something like that in the States, which seems to be another case, and this is not the first time it's happened, of a person sharing classified documentation basically to win arguments on the internet. I know there were there was there was that tank game. There was one one of the online tank games, and in order to win arguments about whether or not it was actually authentic and realistic, people ended up posting classified tank specifications publicly online to say, "Look, see, see, they didn't get this bit right." And this appears to be another case. This guy had a some had quite a following in particular circles online and had been talking about all this classified stuff and, and, and basically sharing classified information for the views just to, to keep his audience interested. So once there's more detail about that, maybe we'll have something interesting to talk about there. But for now, for now, I think that will do you. Uh, we'll, we'll tide you over until we can get together to record uh, a full episode properly. So hopefully that will be sooner rather than later, but we'll just have to have to see how things progress. Best wishes from me, best wishes from Em as well, I'm sure. Would, were they able to be here, I'm, I'm sure they would be, be wishing you just as well as I do. Uh, but I think, I think that's it. That's all for this week. So until next week, and hopefully until the next time I see you with a, with a proper full-length 400th episode... There is really, really is nothing more for me to do than say goodbye. The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M.R.X. Denter. Our show's conspiracy producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, nothing is real, everything is permitted, but conditions apply.